Hello and welcome back to FUVFC, WFV Sports Best, if not only soccer podcast. We are inching closer and closer to the start of the European football calendar, to the academic calendar here as we are students. And I'm coming to you from the Bronx. I know my two other hosts today aren't, but we're all going to be back in school soon at Fordham University. I'm James Burley alongside Gino Alva and Andy Rodriguez. Final moments of the summer here on FUVFC. We're going to wrap up this summer session of these podcasts soon. We're going to be back in studio before you know it. But boys, how are we doing over Zoom? Andy, I'll throw it to you first. Honestly, I'm just done with Zoom. I'm so excited to go back to school and do these in person, not have a 40-minute Zoom time limit. That's terrible. It's <laughs> We're always just rushing, and I just could talk about this sport for so long. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just really excited to get back soon. But today, I'm excited to discuss some some football news, you know, especially World Cup. Everyone, everyone that's been listening knows I've been watching Spain closely, so it's exciting that they've made it to the final. So, yeah, we'll see what you guys have to think about all that. Yeah, it's been a while since I've been on the pod. I think the last time I was on, we were talking about USA versus Mexico and the whole uh, CONCACAF Gold Cup era. So it's pretty wild. It's been that long. You know, the summer has been invested with a lot of soccer moments. So, you know, I just can't wait to talk about, you know, uh, Premier League, Champions League, and, you know, this Leafs Cup that's about to wrap soon and then on to the U.S. Open Cup. Yeah, we really have been treated to a lot of great soccer this summer. We almost forgot that we had the Gold Cup earlier and, so much has happened. That feels like such an afterthought, especially because the U.S. didn't do too great, nor did they in the Women's World Cup. But that's what we're going to start today. We're way past the U.S.'s performance. We've talked about it. We don't want to talk about it anymore. I don't know why I'm saying anything about it right now. But anyway, we know who our finalists will be for the 2023 Women's World Cup. And I think we've just about gotten the two best teams at this tournament. I think it's the the final that is most accurately reflecting their level of play, and that is the Spaniards against the English La Roja against the Lionesses. And England got through Australia earlier this morning, three to one, and they bullied them through that performance. If that, if you got a chance to see it, and then Spain narrowly getting by Sweden, a nervy moments, three goals in the final ten minutes of that match. Andy, you predicted Spain to be in this stage, and I have to give you your flowers. You got it right from the beginning, and yeah, here they are. What do you have to say for yourself and what do you have to say for La Roja? I'm that guy. I knew it. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> no Spain is just, uh, I saw their first game and I knew like this team knows what they're doing. And obviously they had a little fluke playing against Japan, but it seems like they've since fixed that. Their issues of the early stages of not being clinical on goal are long gone. They outperformed their expected goals in the last game. And I know you said we're done slandering the USA team but I will just highlight this thing that seemed very interesting to me. One of the critiques for the U S team was the lack of subs and using the entire squad, Spain and Sweden used 22 out of the 23 players that they brought to the world cup. That's crazy. The only players awesome. that didn't play are the third goalies. So yeah, it just goes to show maybe use all your players next time USA, but, but yes, yeah, so going back to Spain, it's been exciting to watch them. I think, They've been playing great. Salma Parayuelo, who I've mentioned before, has been clutch in the last two rounds. And in terms of England now, I honestly disagree that England's been like the top two team of the tournament. They, I think they've underperformed. Their only good performance was right now when it mattered, thankfully for them. And 
honestly, that's just, that's just the luck of the draw. I think the better teams were on Spain's side. You had Sweden, Japan, Netherlands. Those were all worthy of being finalists for me. But yeah, I think it'll be interesting. Rematch of the Euro. So we'll see what happens. It's anyone's games. You just got to be the better team for 90 minutes. So we'll see how it goes this weekend. Yeah, with the time slots, I've been I've been able I will I wasn't able to watch, you know, all the games, but watching from the highlights, especially these two semifinals. I think the Spain versus Sweden match past the 80 minutes was just a thriller. And I think it was a proper World Cup match. I think the 90th minute goal from uh, Olga, she I think she plays in the Real Madrid. Uh, I thought I thought it was thrilling and expresses the emotions of Spain's women's soccer. And I was curious to see, you know, to see, you know, Spain's record in these tournaments, the Euros and the FIFA World Cup. And they didn't qualify to the World Cup at all until like 2015. And they finally achieved their first major final in their in their history and with a chance to create history. Um, with the England and Australia match, I thought Australia was very lucky with those last two goals. I think the defense was a little bit sloppy in that second goal from England. And then, you know, the last goal, just the goalkeeper couldn't, you know, get a touch on it. But uh, I did find a really interesting fun fact that the winners of this edition's World Cup will join Germany as the second country to win both the men's World Cup and the women's World Cup. So we got England and we got Spain. Let's see what happens. I think what I saw from Spain and Australia, uh, Spain and uh, uh, Sweden, I feel like Spain can go all the way when you're in a tournament mode and you know, you're hot and you're on a streak and you can score goals and defend really well, you're able to to capitalize in the final moments and possibly hold up that trophy. So I agree with you, Andy. I saw a couple of highlights from England's team. They were, they really weren't at their best, but you know, anything can happen in a final. Uh, I'm just excited to see, you know, where this final is going to go because it could go up to be one of the best, you know, women's world cup final. And they're both creating history joining with the men's. So Definitely an entertaining uh, World Cup so far. Yeah, we'll have a new champion of the women's game. Uh, we'll have a fifth joining the ranks of four of the U.S., Germany, Norway, and Japan. So that is spectacular in its own right um, to have a new champion of the world. It's something we haven't experienced since 2010 on the men's side with Spain. So this is something that I find really exciting uh, to have those new records being broken. And if I can play uh, a little bit of a contrarian here, no, England have not made it look very pretty or very easy throughout this tournament. But the reason I peg them as one of the best teams at this tournament is very much because of their style. They have been true to their game physically, and they have not been outmatched in a single contest once, except maybe against Nigeria. But Nigeria, what really set me apart is that people thought that that was the way Nigeria were going to win that match by matching their physicality. But Nigeria out-soccered them that game. And for me, that was really beautiful to see. I hoped that England had gone out at that stage. Nigeria are the best team to have put up a fight against them since. But this is why the final is also very interesting. Um, Gino, I'm glad you mentioned how exciting this match is just specifically because of those records. But I think from a footballing perspective, it's a contrast of styles. This Spanish team has taken notice uh, across the entire world for their ability to play in tight spaces and their ability on the ball. It's been absolutely spectacular. But this England team has been quite the opposite in the way that they're successful they just beat you over the top they run at you they muscle you off the ball and they have some good finishers so they're going to make this game as difficult on spain as possible but spain are going to try to grasp as much control as possible uh and i think we're about to reach that time uh where we're gonna have to make some predictions we're gonna have to lay it all on the line here gino i'll go to you first because i think i know where andy's going who do you have in the women's world cup final i'm gonna go with a proper classic scoreline 2-1 spain 
no way. That was my prediction. I was going to say 2-1 hey. Spain. <laughs> and yeah, James, the, the styles are definitely there. You know, the control style of Spain. And then England, really, they found more success against Australia on the fast transitions. But the other thing, like the reason why I'm leaning to Spain, apart from me highlighting the whole tournament, so I have to like back my own prediction. Um, I just think it's been a long time coming for them. We had Gino spit all those facts to us. And yeah, this is the first time they've won a knockout stage game. And now they made it all the way to the final. But it's been a long time coming before that. They're the reigning champs for the under 17 and under 20 World Cups. And so if they win now at the senior level, they'd be the first country to ever do that. But I just think it goes to show that they've really focused on the development of their younger players. And now they're performing at the senior level. So I, th- I just think it's their time. That's the way I see it. Yeah, and I, you make a great point. And if I can go back a few years prior, a lot of those uh, youth championships in Europe were being consistently sweeped by either Germany or England, who hit the jump in the women's game a little bit sooner because they had infrastructure in their leagues. The The women's uh, Super League in, in England right now has taken off and is growing at a rapid rate. If you saw the the progress that just Barcelona alone made in spain to grow the game of uh, the women's game between now 2016 to now is a massive massive reason why this spanish national team is so successful and playing the style of play that they do it's very barcelona-esque uh and it's been a joy to watch and it's actually so great to see when a long-term plan especially when it's in a sport a group of people that were disenfranchised from the sport finally come to fruition with success i think it's a great thing hats off to spain and the english federations national teams women's programs from the ground up to be able to get to this level it's something spectacular um on the domestic side of things there's one team that turned their fortunes around but didn't really take many many years of practice and planning to do that and i think you guys know where i'm going with this one it's inter miami who in the blink of an eye have become the crown jewel of North American soccer. They are now on the precipice of their first trophy in club history because they got this new guy who has scored nine goals in the six games he's played for this team. We all know who it is. I'm not even going to say his name right now. His team beat Philadelphia Union in their own house 4-1, the team that I probably consider the best all-around squad in Major League Soccer from their coach to their academy to the way they play on the field to the players they have. They were just bullied. An absolutely terrible showing from them, from goalkeeper Andre Blake, who I think very highly of as the best goalkeeper playing club soccer in North America, even better than Memo Ochoa, in my opinion. Um, he did not show up. And Inter-Miami, the Inter-Miami train keeps rolling. They keep bullying every team they go up against, except for kind of FC Dallas. And they're in the final. And even though they are 12 points out of a playoff spot and in dead last in the Eastern Conference in Major League Soccer, We call that the messy effect. I said his name. You know who it was. On the other side of the bracket, Nashville, who just narrowly got past Club America after this debacle of a VAR decision. I'm not sure if either of you guys saw it, but in the quarterfinals, Club America thought they won the shootout because they scored. or No, because they made a save, but the keeper came off the line. So after four minutes of celebrating and fans running on the field, and they didn't even know there was a view review happening. So they had to clear everyone off. They take the penalty again. Nashville scores. It continues into the next round. Jonathan Dos Santos misses. And then Daniel Lovett scores. Nashville wins. 
after 10 minutes of Club America fans who were basically having something of a home game in Nashville Stadium thinking that they had won. Nope. Nashville advances to the semifinals and they really make easy work of Monterey who had beaten their crosstown rivals Tigres and LAFC en route to the semifinal. So now we have an Inter-Miami Nashville SC final and I can already see Apple TV marketing this as Messi versus Hani Mukhtar and it's going to get made fun of around the world instantly on Twitter. Uh, now that the League's Cup is sort of wrapping up, we're going to find out who wins. We're going to find out in the third place game with if Philadelphia Union get a chance to go to the CONCACAF Champions Cup and all this ridiculous prize money that's actually like three times the amount you win for winning MLS Cup. It's insane how much money is on the line at this tournament. Interrupting both leagues for a month. Uh, overall, I want to get your guys' opinions of is League's Cup even like a good idea? Was it worth watching? Did it excite you? Was this the introduction to Messi that we needed? What were your overall impressions of it? And did you even enjoy the soccer? Because the scorelines in many cases were certainly crazy, but the situation to me still seems so artificial and crazy that I can't fully wrap my head around it. And I'm curious where you guys are at. Gino, what's your take on the whole League's Cup? You know, I always wanted like the American teams and the Mexican teams playing, especially with the Canadian teams. But that was the idea of the of the CONCACAF Champions League to get the best teams in North America and play all together. Now they added the League's Cup, which is just the Mexican teams and the MLS teams to play in one tournament, disrupting the MLS and the Liga Mekis. What they've done with Messi, bringing him here and debuting in the League's Cup, I thought it was a great idea it was amazing to see you know from his first game to now we're in the final uh it's been a whirlwind of emotions these last couple of matches seeing you know these these cups uh matches happening but you know i just want to you know talk about you know this miami team i mean messi there's no more words to describe who he is as a player because we know what if he's done in the last 20 years uh Hit, bring him in, Jordi Alba. I'm sorry, Busquets. I think Jordi Alba was really good in the last game. It just shows the quality terrific. of these European, yeah, these European trainings they had and bringing it to a last place team. We're talking about an Inter Miami team that was dead last this season. They're almost, they're almost, you know, a couple points off to to playoff contention, but I just don't know how they did it. You know, uh, Philadelphia Union, James. I think we've been talking this for the past maybe year and a half now. I always thought they were probably the toughest team to beat in the East. Andre Blake, I'm, I'm considering Andre Blake as probably the best goalkeeper of the MLS with contentions to maybe Sean Johnson a couple couple months ago. But it just shows, you know, I mean, I can't like, I just don't know how to describe it. To think that Messi brought a last place team to a final of a new cup, it, it doesn't make sense. It really doesn't make sense. But it just shows, you know, the type of player he is. I'm happy that the League's Cup is, you know, it's going to be to an MLS team, you know, so we could see that. But in the Nashville perspective, you know, they got hot towards the end. You know, they're going to try to fight for the Cup. But, yeah, like you said, James, I can see the Apple marketing on Twitter, all the sports outlets talking about making Messi try to win this League Cup because, you know, they're on a roll right now. They're they're really hot right now. Messi's scoring and Jose Martinez is scoring. And somehow they're getting these great passes to, to score against probably the best goalkeeper in MLS. So we're going to have to wait and see what happens, uh, you know, uh, this upcoming final. But to think they have to play a Leaks Cup final and then they have to play the semifinals of the U.S. Open Cup in a matter of days just blows my mind of how, you know, 
uh, this MLS and Liga MX format is uh, going so far, but we're just going to have to wait and see what happens in these next couple of days. Yeah, I think the introducing Messi into the League's Cup, it was just executed and timed perfectly, you know, because they're struggling in MLS. So then you bring him to this tournament that's just starting here. He gets to play the whole tournament, and you just immediately see the impact of the team. Team that's at the bottom all of a sudden in the final now for the League's Cup. And, you know, Messi is just a great player, never in doubt. And, of course, if you bring Busquets and Jordi Alba with him, that's just going to make it even easier because it's not just that they brought two other world-class players. It's that those two players have such good chemistry with Messi. They understand them perfectly. Even before Jordi Alba showed up and Busquets and Messi's first game, you saw how they were passing between each other. Like it, the chemistry is just there. Even though they haven't played together for the last couple of years, it's just natural for them. And the Jordi Alba and Messi combination is always dangerous. I used to hate it as a Madrid fan because when they were in Barcelona, they just destroyed everyone. And so, yeah, it's no surprise at all that they're going to do that in the MLS. In terms of the League's Cup in general, though, the concept I think is good. They definitely have to work out some of the logistics. Um, there was a lot of controversy. You heard about Mexican teams complaining about all the travel and whatnot. And, you know, it goes both ways. Like you agreed to those terms, kind of silly. I think the Mexican teams were definitely overconfident in that they were better than MLS teams. And now they're not in the final, but still the logistics could have been better. I think it's a nice concept though. Just having two t- leagues play out like that. And yeah, it's definitely bringing eyes now with Messi and I'm, I'm expecting the inter Miami win for sure. I I think it's going to be easy work when you have those three players playing together. They're just unbeatable. Yeah. And as much as I want to be able to say like, Hey, Nashville, they, they took care of Club America and, and Rayados, but yeah, I'm not buying that noise either. I think inter Miami have got this done and dusted, uh, the way that just having I like I think Busquets and Alba have been magnificent as well. Busquets has been able to expose so much that uh shows you how ahead of the curve European soccer is compared to Major League Soccer in just like a small sliver of an aspect of the game. That's how impactful he is as a player. That in just one little movement, the way he turns into space and plays a pass, you can see all these little things and learn so much about the global game versus the American game. To me, that's like a great learning opportunity, and I appreciate having that insight here on our shores. But the ability that Lionel Messi has had alone to completely transform this team and the way they play and how successful they are just goes to show that this guy truly is the greatest one of all time. Even at 36 years old, he's no, he's not moving as great as he ever could, but he still has those movements in him. He's still rapid, and he can still open up space for all of his teammates. He's just infectious energy that you just don't get from any other player in the world on any team. Yeah, it's Inter-Miami in League's Cup against MLS and Liga MX teams, but it's still very much an art form, and I've enjoyed watching every second of it, except for some of the times where maybe the VAR calls, like against Orlando City, did not seem like they were uh, maybe getting the correct attention. And even in the Nashville-Monterey game, Hani Mukhtar scored a absolute screamer in the first half that was disallowed for I couldn't figure out what the reason was so it's been going both ways I'm not sure it's 
a good look for <laughs> soccer in this country at all, that the referees have been as dreadful. But like you guys said, it's a good concept. I love the idea of mixing MLS, Liga MX. That's fun. Interrupting the leagues for a month? No, that's no. I don't like that idea at all. Making it an incentive uh, that's higher than the league, making the prize money like three times more and adding more Champions League spots, I think that's like kind of a very corporate way of increasing uh, motivation and incentive uh, in a competition that's in this format's only existence as one year old. Meanwhile, you've got the U.S. Open Cup, which is 109 years old and has been one of the more storied uh, domestic cup competitions in all of world football. But that one has kind of gone to the wayside for sort of stuff like this. And as an American soccer uh, traditionalist, I guess, as a histor- American soccer historian fan, that kind of hurts me a little bit. So I haven't made up my mind on how I feel about this League's Cup. The games have certainly been exciting. I've enjoyed watching them. And I think I'm going to enjoy watching another messy masterclass on uh, this Saturday is the final. Uh, unless Walker Zimmerman has something to say about that in defense <laughs> for the mighty Nashville SC. Yeah, that's going to happen. All right. Well, we got to move on because even though I don't always uh, appreciate doing this as much as some of the other hosts on this podcast, European football is back. And that's a big moment for us. I'm usually the guy who pivots and says, hey, everybody, can we talk about MLS and CONCACAF for a little minute? We're going to talk about Europe, guys. It's going to happen. The Prem was back. German Super Cup. Ligon is back. Serie A this weekend. Bundesliga this weekend. La Liga is back. Everything's back. Which league are we most excited for to watch this season? Uh, go around the horn in Europe. Gino, go. Definitely Premier League. Andy, um, I'm a Madrid fan, so I'm excited for La Liga, of course. Watching, well. Jude Be- watching Jude Bellingham, the reincarnation of Zidane somehow. I agree. It's been exciting. So I and, agree. And I'll tell you what, Serie A is going to be freaking amazing this year because we have so many Americans in Serie A. We've got McKinney and Wea with Juve. We've got Musa and Pulisic with AC Milan. And my heritage comes from Napoli, so the reigning champs. 33 years since the last Scudetto, but we are coming back. Campionati d'Italia, Forza Napoli. Anyway, we've got a lot to talk about in European football, but because it's only the first week, we're going to give you some of the gist of things. I'm going to start us off. Something I want to mention before we get into transfers, which is probably the more important thing that we've uh, haven't gotten the chance to talk about some of the bigger late summer transfer window uh, acquisitions. Uh, the biggest one being Harry Kane. We'll get to that in a second. I want to talk about Lee Gun and how PSG and the departure of another big transfer uh, has really, really now gone through the slums of it. They looked so lost and defeated in their nil-nil draw against Lorient, and they are now middle of the pack. And it's one match in. They're going to win Liga, and if, if, if you had to put money on it, I probably would say that they will. But in their first game, that club has looked transformed from over the last couple of years where you think maybe this is their year for the Champions League. Right now, they look like a team that, is going to struggle through the first few weeks of France. And that's something that I never thought I'd be saying. Neymar gone, Messi gone, and Mbappe with one foot out the door. We're not sure what the saga where the saga ends with him at the moment. And I think that they're in a very much an identity crisis as a club right now. And it might take a couple more years if I were to make a bold prediction before we see them come back in full terms. So my surprise of the first week of European football is PSG looking as clueless as they are. Although that 
is something that maybe it gets thrown around a little bit more often than it should when people are talking about PSG. Gino, what would you like to talk about if you had one thing to mention from the first week of the European football calendar? Yeah, I'm a fellow Madrid fan, as Andy is, so I have to talk about those two torn ACLs from Courtois and Eder Militao. I don't know what happened with those two. Courtois had a pretty good preseason in the States. Eder Militao just had a bad injury in this in, in the first uh, La Liga game, I guess. I just don't know what happened. I mean, there's a lot of injuries, too. They brought in uh, a new, uh, uh, I forgot how to pronounce his name, Arter uh, Goulier. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. He He's injured as well. It's just a really bad time in Madrid with their players. I don't know what's going to happen. They brought in Kepa. Uh, we're going to talk about transfer later, but they brought in Kepa. I didn't expect Kepa was going to be a Madrid player, especially with all those Chelsea <laughs> finals flashbacks. That hurts my head from watching those games. Uh, it's for him to to be in Madrid and possibly be the first goalkeeper, which is a very disrespectful move to, to Andre Lunian, because I think he's fairly, he's been a really good goalkeeper in those couple of matches he's played so far uh, last year. So, you know, uh, in the Madrid perspective, they got to sort it out. Uh, Atletico Madrid and Barcelona, Barcelona are the reigning La Liga champions. Their first match really went terribly. It was a nil, nil draw. I think Uh, let's see what happens with this Xavi, you know, Barca's ambitions are and aspirations are to be in the Champions League and possibly win the Champions League. The last three seasons haven't been like that. They've been straight to the Europa League. So let's see what happens this year. Can they get past the group stage and hopefully they don't get linked up with Bayern? We'll have to, we'll have to wait and see. Well, as I said, La Liga is my main league to watch. But since we just talked about that, I'm going to transition to the Premier League. And you were mentioning the injuries happening. And we have another big injury in the Premier League. Kevin De Bruyne out for four months. That's going to be interesting. We'll see how City reacts to that. Because yes, Holland is a beast. But the way I see him play, he needs someone feeding him those passes. And with De Bruyne out, it's going to be interesting. They should still be fine, but it'll just be like fun to watch how they adapt to that. They have so much depth anyways. But who knows? Maybe it changes the way they play. But another surprise for the Premier League was uh, Manchester United's first game versus Wolves. Wow. They got so lucky. The most united thing ever. Yes. Yeah, they should have lost that game. Like, they just played terribly. Then they get a good goal from Varane, who was up there for some reason. And, but like, what was that ending? The VAR decision. How is that not a penalty? Or <laughs> not on just, like, smacks the other guy. Doesn't even get anywhere near the ball. And you know it's a bad decision from the ref because now he's suspended from refereeing more Premier League games. So the yeah. league recognizes it's a bad choice. <laughs> it's like, that shouldn't happen. That's the reason why VAR is there. So, uh, yeah, it's a surprise, and it makes many questions for United. United fans were very excited. I know last week in the podcast, they kind of were talking about them with Mason Mount now and also Rashford, how he'll fit in, maybe playing a number nine. And Nick Guzman was talking about United's midfield. He's like, I don't know how Mason Mount is going to fit in with Bruno and Casemiro. And boy, did we get a preview of that yeah. with Mason Mount just up in the front, basically as a number nine, not supporting anywhere. Casemiro alone in midfield to try and hold the fort down. So, yeah, I, I just, he does the same. Mason Mount does the same thing as Fernandez, Fernandes. So it's just interesting to see how they'll play together. I think they have a lot to a lot of questions to be answered in United right now. 
I can't wrap my head around the Mason Mount transfer. It still doesn't make sense to me. Um, I think I'm glad you brought up the Kevin De Bruyne injury specifically because they're in an, an unfamiliar position to other leagues where they just lost the best player on their team, probably, I would say, and the, perhaps the best player in the entire league. Are they still? Are they not still the far and away favorites to win the league, even though Kevin De Bruyne is going to be out for four months? I say, yeah, they still are. It's going to change the way they play dramatically, but they have so much cover in every position. I think they're going to be totally fine in a similar way that I think once PSG figures out how to play again, uh, that might take several months. I still think they'll win the French League, even if they'll look embarrassing by their standards in the Champions League. So, I mean, we got all this speculating we got to do. It's early goings in the European football calendar. We're still getting used to seeing some players on some new teams, some familiar faces in new jerseys. Uh, and I think we mentioned the two biggest ones. Neymar is going to go to Riyadh. He's going to be like, what we don't need. Like I haven't even wrapped my head around Neymar yet. That has just, just broken through. It was made official. I don't think he signed any papers yet, but the deal is done. It's in place. And we're going to see some pictures of him holding up a blue Jersey with some language that I cannot read. And that is <laughs> an idea that, I never thought I'd be saying about Neymar at this age. He, for me, is still, I mean, 38 injuries aside, the third best player of my lifetime. It's Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, and it always has been. Um, I think he's probably, after Pele and Ronaldo de Lima, the greatest, third greatest Brazilian player ever. I think I would put him ahead of Ronaldinho. So to see it, you, I would. I definitely would. I know that's a, dis that's a discussion for another time, but... Uh, point me to when Ronaldinho would just win matches the way Neymar does all the time. He's he's a game changing type of player. That's that's all it is. Ronaldinho is world class. One of my favorites. I love watching him too. Don't 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 get it don't get it twisted. He's number four. Good save. But, good save. Uh, no, I I stand by everything I said just now. You can run it back, <laughs> run it back. But I'm saying at this point in his career, it just I didn't I didn't want to see him make this move. Um, the package though. Don't deny, I would have sold my soul for for uh the five hundred million uh what is it euro? I guess the the currency that and was the, reported and the and the private plane private the private the plane the live in house staff five hundred thousand uh euro every time you post something on social media that supports either the league or Saudi Arabia as a country. I would be posting every five minutes if that was the money that that would change my life with one one social media post. That's how much money this guy's going to be making. So I don't blame him, but it's a sad moment in our game. Um, I th I think I just wanted to get that out because I I have such an appreciation for Neymar and the way he plays, and I think that he um, gets a little bit too much flack in the press for some of his antics and his inability to stay fit. It's not his own fault. Um, if I can get some opinions on Harry Kane joining Bayern Munich, because that one I think is arguably a bigger transfer at this point, because he not only stays in Europe, but goes to a European giant. Andy, Harry Kane to Bayern Munich. Were you happy when you saw this move? Did you think that maybe it felt weird that he was ever going to leave Tottenham? That's kind of where my head was at. Uh, I think it's a good move. I just think it's too late. Um, he should have left Tottenham before especially right after Lewandowski left Bayern, they needed a number nine. That was the time to make the move. He had other options. He was a rumor for Madrid as well years ago. And I just think he had better opportunities. Now he's 
already peaked. So I think he should have gone there when he was starting to peak. Uh, yeah, it's a good move. He deserves that. It sucks that he still didn't win a title. It, it seems like he's cursed. But yeah, I think he's a great striker. He deserved to win titles, have some titles to his name. So I'm happy to see him finally leave that club that never wins anything. So I hope he wins something. It would be funny, though, if Tottenham somehow wins a League Cup this year without uh, a Harry Kane. But yeah, I agree with the... The Sky, the Sky Sports crew with Roy Keane and Micah Richards, he left a year too early. He could have gone in to beat the Alan Shear Premier League uh, record. So uh, I just don't know. Maybe it was time for him to leave, I guess. But, you know, I always looked at him as a great striker, one of the great players of the Premier League. And for him to go to Bayern to win a trophy, I guess, that was in his mind. And for him to be in the first game to win a trophy and just didn't happen. Very surprising. But, you know, we have a whole lead to go. Uh, let's see if they can win a Bundesliga and other other trophies there. But apart from that, I don't know if you guys uh, know this, but today was the UEFA Super Cup. And City played against Sevilla, and City just won penalties. And I did not know that. Uh, all I know is that Erling Holland did not score, and some friends from back home were texting in our group chat saying, oh, my God, he's not a big game player. Um, if you ask me, the UEFA Super Cup, big game, I'm not really buying it. It's uh, just like the Community Shield in England. Is it really all that special? I don't know. Yeah. I'm not, I'm I don't not know, the biggest fan. I don't know who Cole Palmer is, but congrats oh, for Cole his Palmer first is, goal. Cole Palmer is actually good yeah. young talent. He's he's nasty. And Cole very funny. Yeah, very funny. But hey, hey go first trophy without, with, without Kevin De Bruyne. So I think they're in the right steps. I'm not surprised. I'm not yep. surprised. And... Look, Harry Kane in a new in a new kit is going to be strange enough for anybody to notice. But at the age of 30, I'm kind of more on your side, Andy, that to have made this move now, I was ready, very ready uh, to see him just be a lifelong Spurs player. And that would have been fine. But, you know, he joins ta- uh, joins Bayern from Tottenham. And he said this morning it was intended so he could feel the pressure of winning titles. That's a direct quote. Uh, that's got to hurt for some Spurs supporters. But, wow. you know. It is what it is. That's why he wanted to go. And I think he's going to find himself lifting a Bundesliga trophy at the end of the year because that's what Bayern do every year. That is all the time we have, though, on this first week of European football now. FUVFC, Gino Alva, Andy Rodriguez. I am James Burley saying so long. WFUV Sports. Oh, my God. WFUV Sports best, if not only, soccer podcast. I almost lost my train of thought there. That was terrible. But that's the best way to end a podcast ever. See you guys later.